If you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Mark, the 12th chapter, starting in verse 13. Before I start reading here, what you will find in this passage, the background is you have a group called the Pharisees, which everybody's probably very familiar with, very strict on law and religious matters. And you also have a group of people called the Herodians, which the Herodians were very much disliked by the Pharisees. They're described as being a very morally lazy people. They lightly esteem religion, whereas the Pharisees very much loved religion and highly esteemed it. The Herodians were a group of people that would be more likened to a political party today, and their allegiance lied with Herod and with the Roman government. So you have two parties here that uh, very much dislike each other, but in order to face a common enemy that they consider to be Jesus, they're willing to join forces. Now that shows you one, just the hatred that these people had for Jesus and his teaching and his ministry. If they're willing to join forces with another group that they don't even like, just to try to trap Jesus and get him in some kind of trouble. So that's the scene you've got here is these two groups come together and they come to Jesus and they're trying to trap him. And that was not very uncommon in uh, Jesus's time to, to have people try to catch him saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And it, it reminds me a lot of today's climate. You know, everybody just seems like if you've got a beef with the current president, there's, there's a group of people, boy, they just scrutinize every single thing that he says. And if they can take one little thing and just blow it up and turn people against him, they're going to do that. And they'll do it with uh, the next president and the next president and the next president because we'll never have a president that everybody likes, right? So it's just scrutinizing everything Jesus does in hopes that they can, can hear him say something and then run through the streets screaming and crying, oh, did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said this, Jesus said that, and Jesus said this, and get a mass of people to turn against him. So here is just another example of when they're trying to do that. And in Mark, the 12th chapter, verse 13, it says, And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. Now, they're not saying we know that you don't like anybody or care about anybody. What they're saying is we realize that your allegiance does not fall with Caesar or with this king or with that king, that you just seem to be more kind of an independent person. And it says, we know that thou art true and carest for no, for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. And here's the tricky question they're going to ask him. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, a tribute is very similar to a tax, okay? For some of you little guys that don't understand taxes, if you have a job and you make a certain amount of money, a portion of that money goes to the government to do, uh, you know, to work on our roads and all the types of things that are common amongst us all that we, that we typically use. At least that's what you hope they use it for, right? And so they come to Jesus and say, we, we realize that you don't bow down and serve Caesar. We realize that you don't claim to be a Roman. So tell us, Jesus, is it lawful to give a tribute to Caesar or not? Because they know if he says, no, it's not lawful to give something to Caesar, then all oh, they've got and they can stir up the entire Roman nation against Jesus. But then they know if he says, uh, well, yeah, you know, it's okay to, to, to give Caesar the tax money. 
Then they're going to have, well, they can run down through the streets of Jerusalem and stir up all the Jews saying, oh, he's paying tribute to an earthly king. You see, they're always trying to trap him. And I love the way Jesus answers them every time they try to trap him. You know, one time they come to Jesus and they say, hey, can you tell us under whose authority that you're doing all these things? And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you a question. If you can answer that question, then I'll answer your question. And he says, uh, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? And they scratch their heads and think, they said, well, if we say it was from men, then we feared the Jews because they're going to get bad. If we say that it was from heaven, then he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? And so they say, we don't know. And so Jesus is able to silence them and still keep some kind of peace. It's amazing the way he answers them. So they ask him, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription, or inscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Again, they're just kind of left with their mouth open like, Huh. I didn't think you'd be able to get out of this one, but you got out of it again. You know, when they've arrested Jesus and they brought him before Pilate, one of the accusations that they bring, you can read about this in Luke, the 23rd chapter, is they they talk to Pilate and they say, Pilate, this man doesn't give tribute to Caesar. He says that he himself is a king and he being a king is not going to pay tribute to another king. And so that's one of the things that they bring up before Pilate is like, this man won't pay tribute. But really, that's just a false accusation. If you read back over in Matthew, the 17th chapter, you find an example where Jesus absolutely pays tribute. In verse 24, again, trying to trap Jesus. It says, when they were come to Capernaum, they they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, does not your master pay tribute? He saith, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, or that means that Jesus kind of answered his question or addressed the issue before Peter even has a chance to bring up the topic. Jesus prevented him saying, what thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute of their own children or of strangers? And Peter saith unto him of strangers, Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. And I think the point Jesus is making there is reminding Peter that if you're having to pay tribute to Caesar, you just need to remember that this is not your home. Because the king doesn't require tribute of his children. But yet, if we're required to pay tribute, then this is really not our king. You understand that? Just a simple way that he reminds Peter that we're just passing through. We're strangers in a far country, right? Just traveling through until we get to our eternal home. But notice this, this one was kind of hard to swallow for me. This is not my topic, but it makes a good point. He says, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that and give unto them for me and thee. You see, Jesus absolutely paid tribute. We have a clear example of him doing that, yet they falsely accuse him of not doing that now. Why did Jesus do that? Because he was a peacekeeper, right? He was a peacemaker. Jesus says, look, Peter, we're just traveling through. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. But to keep from offending them, 
we're going to pay tribute. Now, again, this is not my topic. And so Peter, imagine Peter standing there. Okay, Lord, we're going to pay tribute. He didn't tell Peter, "Ah, let me see what I got. Let's see. Here, take that. He said, Peter, get up. Go get your fishing pole. Go get some bait. Go out to to the sea. Cast it in. Wait for the fish to bite. Bring the fish out. Get the fish. Open the fish's mouth. And in the fish's mouth, you'll find the money to pay the tribute. That's a pretty neat story. Fascinated me as a kid. What's the point there? That's not my topic, but it's probably worth mentioning. Is sometimes keeping peace and not offending somebody takes a little effort. Right? Jesus could have done it a thousand different ways, but the lesson that we can learn from that is sometimes to keep peace with people, we got to get up, go get our fishing pole, get our fishing bait, and go through some rigmarole and maybe take on a little more burden than we would have liked to have had to just to keep peace. But the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers. Remember that next time you have some conflict in your life and, and, and you're trying to be a peacemaker, that peacemaking is not always just simply reaching in your pocket and pulling something out and handing it to and it's over. Right. Sometimes it requires a little effort on our part, right? But going back to our original text in Mark, the 12th chapter, when Jesus asks them to bring me a penny, and, he bring, and it's not a penny like we would have, it's a penny of their day. It's about a day's wages. He asked him to look at that penny and he says, whose image is on this penny and whose inscription or maybe whose name or whose motto or theme is on this penny? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And he goes on and says, well, render under Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. Now, this probably sounds like this is a pay your taxes sermon and it's not. Okay, but I want to make a point. Jesus used that penny, two things on that penny he used to identify really where it came from and who it belonged to. He used the image of the man on it and he used the inscription or the writing on it to identify where this came from and who it really belongs to. Now, we know that the whatever this penny was made of, gold, silver, brass, whatever, we know that the Lord created those things, right? So ultimately, this is the Lord's. And sometimes, here's another good point that's not my sermon. Maybe that you could title this sermon a bunch of points that really weren't my points. Okay? <laughs> but listen, sometimes we have trouble looking past our own image to realize that this is not something that truly belongs to me. Are you with me? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Ah, well, Sunday's my only day off. You ever heard that? Sunday's my only day off. We have trouble looking past our own image to realize it really belongs to the Lord. All right? That's a pretty good point. Worth making. My house. This is my house. This is my wealth. What did the Lord tell Israel? Don't forget the way that you got your wealth was because I blessed it and I brought it to you. Don't forget, don't start thinking, Israel, that you got it by your own hands. But that's what we do. We get so distracted by our own image that we can't see that it all came from the Lord to start with. But he makes a point here and he says, look at that. The image and the inscription or the superscription on this thing, you know, in, in, in a worldly sense and from man's perspective, that'll help you know who it belongs to, right? And again, this is not a tax sermon. It's the second part of that that I want to look at. 
He says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God's the things that are God's. Well, if he used the image and the inscription on this to identify, then it belongs to Caesar's and rend it to him, render it to him. Then how do we know what things we ought to render to God? All right, what are we going to look at? We're going to look at his image and we're going to look at his inscriptions, right? What does the Bible tell us about his image? Now, the Bible teaches, which this is one of the things that, that just to use a word that we don't use a whole lot today, but it's a Bible word. It, and we used it just a minute ago where it says when he answered them, they marveled. We don't really say that a whole lot today, but one of the things that one of the sets of scriptures that made me just marvel over the teaching of salvation by grace when I came to see it was in the book of Galatians in the fourth chapter and the sixth verse. And it says this, because ye are sons, not because you want to be sons, but because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Bible tells me but the the reason he sends his spirit into our hearts is because we are already his children identified and chosen before the foundation of the world and at some point because we are those children he sends forth the spirit his spirit into our hearts and the bible tells us in galatians the fifth chapter in the 22nd verse that that spirit produces certain fruit that without the Spirit of God inside of me, I cannot produce on my own. I can't generate it. And it says there, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You say, you mean you can't generate love unless you've been born again? Sure, you can love your alcohol, and you can love your drugs, and you can love your fornication, and you can love all that type stuff, but you'll never love the spiritual things of God. You will always think they're foolish. You'll never love the preaching of the word. You'll never love to see, hear these songs. You'll never love to sit around here and shake hands and figure out how everybody's life's going. But a spiritual love is a fruit that is produced when the Lord puts his spirit inside of us because we are sons. And it goes on and says in love and joy and peace and long suffering and all those things. And so this is my point. It is God's spirit that produces that fruit inside of us. Now, when you see me, if you've ever seen me exhibit a love for you in a spiritual manner, or if you have ever seen me or anybody else in here exhibit a, a faith in spiritual things in order to maybe overcome a difficult time in life, or if you've ever seen anybody be long-suffering uh, with somebody in the name of, of mercy and tenderness, what you are seeing is a reflection and an image of God because it is His Spirit that is producing those things. Now, we can get to a point, certainly the Bible teaches that, where we can become children who repress that fruit and you can't see it. So I want to live a life where people can look at me and say, you know what, I see the fruit of the Spirit in Him and that is affirming to me that He is a born-again child of God. But listen, there are apple trees that have produced fruit in the past that for some reason or another have become diseased and they no longer produce fruit, but it doesn't change the fact that they are an apple tree. Now, when you see these things mentioned in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 22, what are you seeing? You're seeing a reflection and an image of the Spirit of God. Right? 
Now, <clears throat> what's the other thing that was on that coin that the Lord used to identify where it came from and who it belonged to was an inscription, right? In 2 Corinthians, if you want to flip over there, if you don't, just jot it down. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Another marveling verse for me. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians, the third chapter in verse 3. Paul writes this, he says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle, that is a handwritten letter, as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Did you notice that? There's some inscribing going on here. And the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, this inscribing that's being done, it's not with ink and it's not with paper. It's not with a finger of God in tables of stone like in the day of Moses. This is written with the Spirit of God on the hearts of all of those children. The Bible tells us that He has written His laws in our hearts. Alright, now, let me start winding up with this. Do you realize that you carry an image with you? And do you realize that there's an inscription or a superscription written on you? Jesus takes that penny and says, listen, whose inscription and whose image is on this thing? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But where you find my image and my inscription, you need to render it to me. I want you to think about that for a second. To render something means to give away something that you own for your profit. Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? To give away something I've got for my profit. Typically when we think of profit, we think of gaining something. But to render here, the definition means to give it away in order to gain. And Is that not what Paul says? I count my life but loss. To gain Christ, to give away my life, to sacrifice myself, to lay myself down for the cause of Christ is a gain. I'm rendering unto God the things that are God because my, His image and His inscription is all over me. Now you think about these, these Hebrew boy, boys in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, y'all probably don't do this. But have you ever thought, you know, like there, there, are, some, there are some bad ways to die, right? You know, we all hope we just kind of pass on in our sleep, right? But sometimes if you let your mind kind of get away from you a little bit, you'll start thinking about, man, I wonder wonder what that would be like to have to experience that and to leave this earth and suffer in that way. All right, well, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're just like me and you. They weren't superheroes. And when they get the news that they're going to be burned to death, can you imagine what went through their minds? If they're anything like me, they probably start thinking, okay, how can I get out of this without offending God, but get out of the furnace? Is there an option? Is there a middle road? And, 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 and maybe, I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but maybe they begin to think about that. It's kind of an indication that they didn't. But you know what the option was before them? I can render what has the image and inscription of God, I can render that to Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. Or I can render it to God because that's where it belongs. And that's where it came from. 
And they stand there and they look at Nebuchadnezzar and they pretty much say, as I paraphrase, I'd rather burn and render it to God than to give to man what is God's to start with. What about Peter and the apostles? As they begin, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, as they begin to preach, you know, it wasn't like coming in here and preaching. It wasn't like traveling to primitive Baptist churches and everybody loves on you and sticks a check in your pocket and says, oh, we love you. It's good to see you. Can't wait. It wasn't like that. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. It was, it was a tough, tough ministry and they're threatened so many times. And Jesus stands in the face of those that have beaten him, imprisoned him and threatened him. And he says, it's better for me to obey God than to obey you. Because if I obey you, I've rendered what is God's to Caesar's. But if I obey God, I've rendered what is God's to God. And that's what he's required of us, right? Now, I want you to think about those things. The next time you find yourself in a situation where there's a worldly way and there's a godly way, Whose image and whose inscription is on you? And who are you going to render that to? The next time somebody comes along, some of you young people, and they say, hey, let's go over here and let's do all this manner of revelry and sinfulness. I hope you've got the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to render to God the things that are God's. And I'm not going to do it. I hope the next time you're tempted to do something, you'll think about whose image and whose inscription is on you. And if it's the Lord's, then render to the Lord's. And I pray that you'll give me the strength to do that myself.